Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. There are so many books about leadership. Many books are about new skills you can learn, bad habits to unlearn, or new perspectives to incorporate into your leadership. Well, my guest today argues that the most important aspect of your leadership is this, self-leadership. Self-leadership. My guest today is Terry Looper. He's the founder and CEO of Texan LP, a leading oil and energy industry in Houston, Texas. He has written a new book as well, and it's entitled Sacred Pace. His book traces his journey of success, burnout, and rediscovering his priorities. Enjoy today's show. Well, welcome to the show, Terry. I appreciate you being on the show. You have a fascinating story to share. And as I understand it, you were in your mid-30s. You were living the dream. I mean, married to your high school sweetheart, father of two precious girls, and a multimillionaire, fast-tracking towards even greater success. But one day, your life in the fast lane came to a screeching halt. So maybe just start off by talking about that. Describe exactly what happened to you. Well, we um, I had joined a gentleman and uh, to start an energy marketing company, and I earned some sweat equity over time. But um, about two years into the company, I started getting dizzy. Um, my brain started getting a little fuzzy, and I went to a doctor and said, "What's what's the deal?" And he said, "What's well, stress?" I said, "Well, give me some of those pills." And he said, "I'm not." No, I'm not giving you any pills. And and I went, wow, I thought everybody could get some, you know, anxiety pills, whatever. And he wouldn't. So I went on about my way. The dizziness then transformed into eventually where, because of my brain fuzziness, I couldn't couldn't, um, make big decisions. I started procrastinating. And then eventually I started to get to where I couldn't make little decisions. And then on a particular Saturday morning, I was at home with my wife and my daughters, and my brain shut down. I, I, I didn't. I don't know how to describe it other than like a marathoner hitting the wall, but my brain quit, and um, I was just at home. And my wife helped me get to the bedroom, put me in bed, and turn off the lights and shut the door. And basically, I just cried. I mean, I thought I'd lost my mind or a nervous breakdown. I didn't. I didn't know what was going on. What I found out later through a psychologist is I had burned out, and my psychologist said it wasn't that bad of a case. And I said, "Wow, I don't, I, all I know is I don't want to do that again." So that was uh, the beginning of a, a life-changing event, if so to speak, and quite a journey since. Wow. Well, and let me ask you: you know, as you look back on that event now, when you hit the proverbial wall, uh, would you say that this was a blessing in disguise, or no? If it's not the biggest event, it is second and third only to my children and my marriage. Uh, it clearly was, uh, like I said, a life-changing event. It was a huge blessing, completely changed. 
you know, when you're that stressed, you you suffer both eventually in health and relationships. Usually, relationships first, and then health next. And clearly, that had happened to me. I was a uh, absentee dad, mentally and often physically, and an absentee husband, mentally and physically, in terms of travel. And when I was home, I wasn't home. I was thinking about deals. I um, out of that, I became a Christian out of desperation, which uh, the before and after, which I taught in the book, the before and after what the Lord did in my, in my life is nothing short of a miracle. And then I did a bunch of therapy, and um, it, it, and I learned an awful, awful lot about me. I, I started dealing with my insecurities, my um, reasons for what was driving me back then as a huge people pleaser. And I was catching my false god money because we were selling the company right at that juncture when I crashed and burned. And you're not supposed to catch your your god. So it was it's been a miraculous turnaround in life and in my relationships with family and my wife and my kids. Been just a beautiful journey since. Well, it seems like you have the makings of a movie, perhaps about your life. I mean, it sounds remarkable in terms of the turnaround. In fact, maybe for my listeners to get a little bit of the background, we're going to get to your book because Terry has a new book out about his life, basically his story. Um, You are the founder and CEO of Texon LP, a leading oil and energy company, as you referenced earlier. Talk about your leadership in general and specifically the leadership principles and values that you incorporate into your work every day. Well, you know, once you burn out and you really do change and want to be a better person and a better leader, you, you start uh, changing your values of where you work. Um, I became more of a servant heart, more of a servant leader. So it's been a journey of mine to um, to be, for our company to be the best service provider in our industry, in our segment of the industry. And the only way that's possible if, if my management team and I are the best service providers in the industry to our employees. And then we have five values that are um, prioritized, and ironically, they end up, if you're an entrepreneur and started your ministry or your business, they really end up being your own values, whether they're written or not written, in my opinion. So ours, the number one is integrity. Uh, the number two one is service which is the same as our mission. Number three is long-term relationships. Number four is development of people. And the last one is prosperity or making money. We, we, we believe that's a byproduct of investing in employees and investing in our customers and that it becomes a byproduct of positive outcome. I know you've touched on this a little bit, but talk specifically about why these leadership values are so important to you. Like I said, the values of the company – match who I am being the founder. If you're late in the season in terms of the ministry or organization, they may not, and then you, you've got to try to make the culture, uh, you adapt to the culture of, of the company. Since I was the founder, then it's a little bit the other way around. But um, we, we found these five values to really be to serve us well along with really being a servant leader, and it's a constant battle to to try to be a servant leader where you're really honoring the employees um, as best you know how. 
That's excellent. Well, I understand you've mentioned the new book you've got out, Sacred Pace. Love the title, first of all. Pace is such an important thing that we all struggle with as leaders, again, whether it be the for-profit or nonprofit sector. Um, in fact, I would say that I found a lot of us in the nonprofit world anyway, uh, whether it be in a faith community, a nonprofit that you lead, are struggling to find a healthy pace. There's always more to do and just not enough time, not enough staff, not enough resources to accomplish everything we want to accomplish. So talk about the sacred pace that you really discovered and one of the most darkest moments of your life. Sacred Pace turned out to be, uh, over these 30 years, 30-plus uh, years from my, since when I burned out, to, to be four steps in a process to discerning God's will. Now, um, you, you know, the book's also got a lot of points in there about how to avoid burnout. But the... The, the key to the discerning God's will is you got to decide who who's um, who is God to you, and and to me I finally said He sees the future, um, He knows best. I just think I do, and He loves me and everybody around me way more than I do. So I'm kind of going, wow, what if I can tap into that? And of course. You go, why wouldn't you tap into that? Well, fear, greed, lack of faith, um, you know, pride, ego, a lot of reasons. But um, he took me through a journey after I burned out and before I started the current company that I have through these steps that at that, at that time weren't steps. But he ended up convicting me because I was scared to death to go back to my old ways because I would ruin my relationship with my wife and daughters again. I, I wanted to make sure I could start a company and maintain a company where I had enough time to still have energy left when I went home. And so he convicted me of these steps. And the irony of it is, which is something I don't recommend to people, is he convicted me to start my company on 40 hours a week and have no sales metric goals. And and uh, like I said, I don't recommend that. I recommend anything that the Lord convicts anyone of to do, and, and that's what he convicted me of. So it's pretty darn scary to start a company on 40 hours a week. And the irony is about 15 years later, we became the largest private company in sales in Houston at $6 billion in revenue with no sales metric goals. So it's been quite a quite a ride. I mean, that's remarkable that here you are, in a sense, you cut down on the time you invested. Um, you did you took away sales goals, and yet you became the largest oil company in Houston. I mean, that's remarkable. Six billion in sales. Um, maybe talk about it a little bit more. I mean, what did you learn through this painful experience, and how has you have you seen it shaped you now as you move forward and continuing to lead this company? The, the the four steps that I eventually eventually got was able to articulate, and really I didn't share what he was doing with me over those probably the first twenty years because it it was just you know I'm just a businessman like everybody else uh, around that trying to do my thing, and so I didn't go around promoting or selling or talking about it, but it, but eventually I started articulating it to some of my friends and family members, and eventually they. They convinced me to write a book on it. But the first step is consult your friend Jesus, can love better than anybody, and and wants to help hold you accountable, wants to support you. All the traits of a great friend he, he excels in. The second step is to gather the facts, which comes in a lot of different forms. One is to 
learn to be objective as you pray along, meaning, first of all, a lot of times people, including myself, think my opinions are a fact, and they're not. So that helps you start, uh, and the prayer starts helping you be objective. The, the other is, you, a lot of times when you hear a fact, you go, oh, I really, really like that fact because it promotes my idea. Then you elevate that fact, and then when you hear a fact that doesn't, help you in your cause or what you want, you discount it. So it's okay to have a preference. You just got to eventually lay it down. The And then you do pros and cons, even maybe a motivation list. What what, what are your motives? And then the third step is, is watching for circumstances. The fourth and final step is what I call getting neutral. It's just kind of a term I coined over the years by myself, just doing this alone. You get towards the end of the year, and you got a sales goal, you're not quite there yet, you press your customer or prospective customer or client or donor, and you end up losing. You either get less money, less of a deal, less margin, or you offend the customer or you run him off trying to force it. I try to listen out of the customers or, or donors over time to, to and not let uh, goals get in the way. Uh, you know, if if you're a player, you don't need to have a numbers goals. In my opinion, stand in your face. Though I don't think I know of any other organization that doesn't have them. So, I, so I'm definitely a lone ranger on that. Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you were aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. I also want to make sure you knew about a new feature. Um, we want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows that will be actually sent right to your inbox. And that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Well, it's so obvious that your faith really has made a difference and it actually shapes your leadership style. It shapes how you view business, how you view life. Um, I'm curious, you know, in that world, um, what kind of response do you get from other uh, leaders, um, both, you know, mostly I would say in, in your other industry leaders, if you will, but also just other people that you interact with and you share some of your leadership principles? What's typically a response from other people? Uh, first of all, I'm not a ministry guy and I'm really, you know, just a family man, businessman, so I don't go around sharing it. Um, but my, I shared some with my ministry leaders. I shared it with my family and some of my close friends. And as they've adapted and adopted, they've, they have, uh, again, they may have a little different t- twist at the end. But what I'm hearing from the people now that several of my friends have read the book is they were forgetting to be deliberate, intentional. So that's probably been the biggest reminder to people that I've uh, of my friends that have read the book so far. 
So interesting. Okay. And you already kind of mentioned this a bit, but perhaps you can share about what the biggest leadership challenge you are now facing and how are you navigating through these challenges? You mean uh, besides me? <laughs> Good point. That's right. Self-leadership maybe is the biggest challenge, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When I started Texon and I had my faith and I'd done all that therapy, I said to myself, I refuse for the company to fail because of me. It may fail for a lot of other reasons, but I refuse for the little boy in me to cause it to fail, where his greed or his pride or his ego um, or his recklessness around money, I refuse to let the company fail because of the little boy in me. So over these 30 years, I'd say the biggest management problem I've had consistently is me. Um, The the culture, uh, uh, all kinds of things of how I've communicated or lack of communication, uh, how I've addressed things poorly, how my little boy in me does get in the way, though we've had a kind of a fairy tale 30 years, honestly. But nonetheless, I've still screwed up several times, a lot of times. So uh, the current, you know, and then, then you you know, if you put me aside, what's always the, probably the second biggest issue, it's personnel, people, getting the right people in the bus, coaching them, training them, helping them become all they can be or getting them off the bus or finding some the right people to be in, in trying to get your culture homogeneous and and consistent it's it's a it's a journey you never can drop and and trying to be a good servant leader currently i've got a, a position that i'm trying to hire that uh, reports directly to me and you know to hire somebody that can come in reasonably close to our culture is um, will not be easy. At come in at that level and and report directly to me will will not be easy because we are countercultural pretty pretty consistently throughout our our values and our management style. Now you talk about self leadership and it's the most important part of leadership and I agree with you actually. So let me ask you, why is self-leadership so difficult for all of us? The baggage we bring in from our childhood that we don't know about, that I learned about in my therapy and kind of had to grow up and mature, the the dysfunction that we all bring from life. So it's, it's, it's a journey no matter what your age is and um, to re- recognize it's kind of like in marriage, it's amazing how often when – when your when your wife is having problems, she basically will say, you know, I say, what's your problem? She say, you. And it's amazing how often it stems from me uh, around her problems. <laughs> it's 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 just the truth. In the same way, of leadership. Whenever we've got a big problem at my company, you go, who's probably the biggest culprit that's that didn't handle himself back maybe a year ago or three years ago or five years ago, me. And, uh, you know, if you're pleasantly surprised and you find out it's not you, then, then uh, just hang around because it'll eventually be you on the next one. Well, I think it's fascinating. I think you're right on. I think self-leadership is both 
underspoken about, if you will, and it's uh, underutilized, but it's so critical. And again, regardless of your for-profit world or the nonprofit world, and maybe one final question is, uh, you do a lot of leadership, of course, in the for-profit sector with your company. Um, What would you say to my listeners that are nonprofit leaders? What are some of the most important traits they ought to incorporate when it comes to their leadership style? I'm involved in dozens of nonprofit ministries myself, and I've been on many, many boards over the years. And so I do have a lot of exposure to nonprofits uh, and have, and, and I mentor a lot of non- nonprofit leaders, actually. So I think, they're, I think they're, they've got a harder job than I do. I think capital is a lot harder to come by. I, I think there's a, a, a sense of scarcity versus in uh, poverty versus prosperity, and so I think they, they tend to um, worry about running out of money, and, and um, particularly the smaller ones. And I think we just have to have more faith. That's probably my number one thing I see, besides them occasionally abusing their employees in the name of serving their clients because of the sense of scarcity and poverty. Well, thank you so much for that. My guest again today has been Terry Looper. He's the founder and CEO of Texon LP, a leading oil and energy industry in Houston, Texas. And he has a new book written called Sacred Pace. Well, Terry, if my listeners want to find out more about you and your new book, where would you send them? Well, they, they, they've got a uh, landing page, they call it, and it's sacredpacebook.com. You can buy the book if you're interested in, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Hey, that's right. You're going old school, and that's it's been working for you. That's great. Well, Terry, thank you again so much for sharing your story, sharing your faith, sharing what you've learned. Um, my hope is this book really spreads, and a lot of people are inspired by it. I hope it uh, helps others, and, and uh, we'll just see, and I, ho- I hope it does. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.